Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Alec Mappa Hot Mess with Matthew Dempsey, psychotherapist. Welcome back to the podcast that's going to save the world. I'm Alec Mappa. I'm an actor and comedian. I live in Hollywood. And I'm Matthew Dempsey. I'm a multicultural counselor and a psychotherapist. Multicultural counselor. <laughs> yes. I love that. I love that intro. I love hearing it every week. I love that you love it. Yeah, well, it's not just that you're a counselor. You're a multicultural counselor. I am a multicultural counselor, yeah. So, so somebody could come in from the tiny people's republic of togo and be <laughs> you would be fully immersed in their culture and you would be That's able to right. counsel them yes, yes of course yes, yes. i'm having Being trouble to... with my mud hut i need you to help me process this stress. yes i know that's what it sounds like yes but it's understanding the variety of cultural identities that we have and how that intersects and creates our self-concept okay. and how All we right. move through the world you know? All right. It's not just, there's not some compensation here that it's not not (laughs) enough for you to be a psychotherapist. You're a multicultural psychotherapist. Covering all grounds. That's right. Well, see, this is, this keys in perfectly with how we're going to save the world this week because we're talking about obsessive productivity. Yes. Oh my God, for sure. That's a thing. Are there people (laughs) coming into your um, multicultural practice? Listen. (laughs) I have been making Chinese food all day. (laughs) I would say just the idea of this kind of like obsessive productivity. Everybody Mm -hmm. is just hustling and working and glorifying busy all the time. And I would say, honestly, probably a lot of people, the majority of people coming through my doors are constantly talking about work stuff. Um, how they feel like that they should be doing more, not doing enough, all that. So it's like a very, Do you think very they common. equate busyness with, um, you know, uh, being a good person with, with, uh, because I have a friend in New York. I, I mm-hmm. think I've talked to you about her before. She's a casting director. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes uh, casting directors are there. It's a great profession. They work really, really hard. But I think at one point they, they, they think that they're Jesus Christ at some point. <laughs> they're, they're, they're just the biggest martyrs because they work crazy long hours. But yeah. every time I talk to her, uh, she spends the first, I'm not kidding, first 10 minutes telling me how busy she is and how she's being worked till she's That's dead. all. I mean, how common is that all the time? But I found out that when I realized this, the truth about this is like, oh, and I re- and I, I've known her for so long is that this is how she's loved. This is right. how, this is her language of love. This is how she learned to be loved when she was, uh, it, because busyness in her family was equated with virtue. Yeah. But also, I mean, don't forget that just in our culture alone, we have we have such an intense value around how much work we're doing. It's con- mm. every everybody's affected by this. This is kind of like here's where the multiculturalism comes in. It's the culture of the world that we live in and especially in kind of Western culture. Yeah. It's, you know, we measure ourselves and we value ourselves very unfortunately, but by our productivity, our output. My favorite quote or one of my favorite quotes anyway is don't uh, stop the glorification of busy because mm. we do it all the time we value it so much it's Mm. oh like how i mean like you said too like your friend that's so many people are just you know they kind of go on and on and on about how busy they are how tired they are and they wear Uh, like a badge of honor okay yeah i i glorify naps (laughs) i i i live like a spaniard from three to five i I love that maybe I take the deepest sleep. I just could never get enough sleep. Yeah, but, but Alec, you're you're somebody who is constantly on the go too. Yes, because I'm a parent. Yes. And I'm a fine upstanding citizen. That's yeah. just good citizenship, Matthew. <laughs> but Alec, I, I mean I even have to feel like okay, I have to feel like I'm useful. It's not it's not the amount of things that I'm doing, but if I get up in the morning and I'm useful, I feel like both my parents worked. 
Right. And uh, my father had a very strong work ethic. His, his grandmother told him that idleness was a sin, yes. that you weren't to sit around and do nothing was a sin. And I think some of that seeped through the noggin, because for me, I feel like each day is your day to contribute somehow. Yeah. And if I don't contribute somehow in my day as a parent, as a citizen, as a husband, as a whatever, yes. as a friend, I feel that I've wasted the day. Well, but that's also putting way too much stock in kind of like the output as like the starting point, right? That we have to we have to have something to show for why we're even here, as opposed yes, to like that's flipping the, the way, script. That's the way the world works, Matthew. That's not how the world works. You have works. to have something to show for it. Well, but the thing is, is that if we're taking a moment to get still and check in with ourselves and be able mm -hmm. to get curious about what are the things that make us light up? What are the things that we care about? How are we able to fill our own cup up first so that the spillover is then something that we can offer to the rest of the world? And then that's how we start lighting up the world. It's but the it has to start with us like first. Putting the oxygen on your face first before exactly. your child suffocates. Exactly. Because yes. otherwise, if we're not doing that, then what we're putting out into the world is fear-driven, right? It's very much like this is what I have to do in order to matter as opposed to I'm taking care of myself first. And then there's naturally going to be an abundance that can flow out. And then that's the kind of way that we're like, what is, what is fear driven giving look like? What is that? What does that look like? Okay. Listen, the reason, okay. Is so it the like mania? People, is it like, yeah, I mean, I it, can, what can, it? It, can, it can show up in a variety of different ways. Yeah. But when we're thinking about why there can be such this obsession with having to work so hard and building mm -hmm. ourselves on productivity, it's because at our core, there is some internal, probably subconscious belief that something is lacking within us. So that's shame, right? Like the idea that something yeah. is not you enough, that I'm shame. inadequate. Right? Mm -hmm. okay, that yeah. was the hug. Good, good, good. Mm -hmm. um, now you got, so now you got we, my attention. Yeah. And so then we, and so we look to other things to try and prove that we matter, that we should have a place in the world, as opposed to just being very aware and conscious of the fact that our value is a birthright. Well, I do it's like feeling that's useful. Don't you like feeling useful? I mean, during the beginning of the pandemic, I was feeding nurses and yeah. I was doing fundraisers every week. And totally. that kind of like gave me a channel for all of the what the fuck is going on in the world. Yeah. How do you, okay. So for you, when you're checking in with yourself, how do you know for yourself mm -hmm. if what you're doing is like for other people first versus something that's actually lighting you up or, you know, kind of feels well, authentic as to your a expression? Parent, yes. Matthew, this is something yes. that's really important because I, you know, as a, as a parent, I was, I swore to myself, you know, I'd see people on Oprah, I'd see people on talk shows and say, right. you know, I had kids and I completely forgot about myself. And I, and yeah. I was like, I'm not going to be that person. Yeah. And the <laughs> fact is my kid really needed me the first couple of years. It was, yeah. and so I did kind of forget about myself, you know, for sure. me, you know, two, three years later, I haven't been to the gym. I hadn't been, I had a real kind of like, I'm not in a good place to, this isn't helping my kid. Yeah, for sure. I mean, listen, I think especially when it comes to parenting, that's kind of a little bit of a, of a different space anyway. Mm -hmm. We have to make sure, obviously, we're kind of giving so much, but even still making sure that we're checking in at, at least at a baseline. Make yes. sure we're getting our baseline needs met first. So and that again, I can this give is not, at an optimal level. So I can't yeah, do any fear-based yes. giving. <laughs> yes. I mean, you can pretty much, you can really kind of boil every single decision uh, that we make in life down to one of two things. Is this coming from a place of love? Is this coming from a place of fear? Am I doing this because it's an authentic expression of who I am? Or am I doing this because I think it's what people need and want from me? So that's how we can check it in. Oh, uh, see, this is the kind of talks I want to have with you as we cuddle, <laughs> as we just 
you know, spoon yes. each other in love and fear. <laughs> I can't think of a better segue to bring on our guest, who's a dear, dear friend. And I I, I'm just delighted that she's here today. You want to read that intro? Yes, of course. I'm very excited about <laughs> today's guest. She's a cool person. This Emmy Award winning actress is most known, of course, for her role as Lisa Simpson on the animated television series, The Simpsons. She also lives in one of my favorite shows growing up, which was Herman's Head. Yes. Um, but of course, Simpsons stands out as such a prominent one. You know, it started in 1987. It's been around for so long. The Simpsons since 1987. In addition to her many other acting credits, she also hosts her own podcast called Small Town Dicks which explores real life crime in small towns in the United States. I thought it was about the time I worked in Fresno. Um, please welcome. Oh, my dear, dear friend, Yardley Smith. Yay. Yay. Applause button. Applause. Yardley, it's so good to see you. Every time I see you, I'm, I'm, we're friends, but I'm also just a little star Trek, starstruck every time I see you. Like, yeah, I'm friends with somebody who's, who's, been famous for as long as I've been in the business. <laughs> yeah. So lovely. <laughs> I mean, we're, but we started out on the t- same track. I mean, you started out on Broadway in, um, uh, in the real thing, in the real thing yep. as an understudy. And I started out in M butterfly as an understudy. So we both have that seething, um, Yes, we were both seething understudies. Yeah. <laughs> and we both got to take over the roles that we were understudying, which right. people may not know is actually incredibly unusual for an understudy. Yes, usually they, yeah, usually they hire somebody else. Somebody else, mm-hmm. 100%. You can mm-hmm. actually, I, I, you know, you can make a whole career of being an understudy you if can. you have the temperament, but yes. um, um, I sure as hell didn't. So. No, I <laughs> described being an understudy, Matthew, as being an animal in a cage in the middle of the forest. <laughs> okay. And it's you're just true. watching everybody else kind of romp and play and mate uh, and have fun and live their lives. And you're just like, but you know what's so funny, Arlie? I was thinking about it earlier. It's like, who did we think we were at 23, 24 years old that I I should be this is mine. Like, what? why uh, was you're it? not wrong? Yeah. And I, my agent at the time, actually, basically said that to me. Who the fuck do you think you are? You are gonna because when I auditioned, <laughs> I didn't actually know I was auditioning for the understudy. I thought I was yeah. auditioning for the role the star to play. Spot. Yes, yes. Yeah. Jeremy yes. Irons's daughter in this play, this Tom Stoppard play. It was Jeremy and then, Irons and Glenn Close, correct? That's right. Everybody, yes. and actually Peter Gallagher, Christine Baranski, mm-hmm. um, Vito Reginis, uh, like everybody was in it. It was a and, very big deal, Matthew. It was like big time Broadway shows. And it won shows, all, it won all the Tonys that year. Yeah, and it my show did too. 84. Yeah, minus years later in 88. Yeah. And, but but it's kind of like, you know, it's so funny, Matthew. We both had the hubris at that age of like the, the entitlement. And what I look back on is like, I, why, why didn't I just be happy? Why didn't I just be like, fuck it? it? It just, it was impossible. It couldn't have happened any other way. It's true. I, and I, and, but I do think that there's something about that drive and the sort of take no prisoners attitude that I approached my career with really my whole life. But my whole life was my work, which actually segues well into what you all were talking about. And when um, your producer said, what do you want to talk about? I was like, oh, there are so many things. <laughs> but, Let's go down the list. Yeah, You know, I do feel as though, as you were saying, Matthew, that the this culture of busy and people take pride in a how much sleep they have not had 
how underslept they are, and B, how productive they are. And they wear them, as you say, like badges of honor. Um, and for me, certainly in the beginning of my career, I was so successful right out of the gate, right out of the gate. Like for the first 12 years, I was, you couldn't, I, I got everything. I and and it was I had to audition. Nobody was offering me a thing. That's how we met. I would go. We met at an audition. Yeah, no, we met because I saw you on stage at the Henry Ford Theater, oh. and I wrote you a fan letter. I oh, saw your right. one man show. No, but Aww. didn't we meet? And then shortly thereafter, we met at a callback for CBS, where where it was like our third callback, and you and I gave each other the thousand mile stare, like, "What's going to be different this time? Yes. Why do they keep doing <laughs> yes. this to us?" Yes, but you actually you answered my um, fan letter. I was so, I I'd never written a fan letter before, but I was so completely bowled over by the crispness and the incisiveness of the story you were telling, and it so resonated with me. I couldn't. I was absolutely. I was slack jawed. I was just Aww. gobsmacked by <laughs> what I saw. Yeah. I really was. Thank you. Thank bowled you. over. Um, so, uh, so, but I, I really attached my value to my work. And so it really became, I am what I do. And the problem mm. with that was mm -hmm. that after about 12 years, things started to really, really change for me. I no longer looked like I was, you know, 14, even <laughs> though, so it, so it was about when I was about 31 and I'd been in the business since I was 18. So and I looked so, so young, like ridiculously young, really. I look at, you know, resume photos of me when I was 20 and you go, I can't believe my mother let me out of the house. <laughs> Meanwhile, I was living in New York by myself, yeah. right? Um, but my point is, is that when things started to shift and kind of dry up, Mm -hmm. um, I had a real identity crisis because if mm -hmm. I am what I do and then I don't get to do it as much as I used to, then who am I? Right. Mm -hmm. right. And, it, and I didn't honestly, part of the, you know, it was great to sort of right out of the gate, be so successful. And it wasn't that I didn't have to work for it, but I didn't have to do other work to support mm -hmm. myself because mm -hmm. I was getting jobs right away. Um, and it really left me, I sort of liken it to a house with no foundation. Yeah. So that when it was up to me to figure out how to create work for myself or to now at that time. So I started in like the early eighties. So by the nineties, it was sort of de rigueur. You had to sort of be this multi-hyphenate, right? Mm -hmm. Actor, writer, director, actor, director, like whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm a, I'm a, I'm an actor, pretty good at it. I don't want to direct. I don't want to. So I Me didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. Yeah. I really didn't know um, what to do. Yeah. Um, and now still, as you were, Alec, I was so I'm so envious that I, too, love a nap, but then I'll wake up and feel really guilty. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I'm busier I don't feel now. Working. <laughs> so how, how do you <laughs> get there? <laughs> I feel like, well, I, I feel like I've earned it. I feel like if I'm napping, if I'm napping a whole bunch and I haven't done anything, that's when I, I feel guilty. And that's when I know I'm depressed. Because yeah. that's right. my go-to when I'm I'm depressed. I just sleep all day. Sure. Wait, Yarley, so let me ask you, because I know that you were talking about having this kind of, uh, you know, pretty immediate success from like 18 years old when you just started it. Um, Oprah kind of talks about like uh, luck being defined as hard work meeting opportunity. Yeah. So I can't imagine that you, it was just complete luck and then you just took off and started working hard at the point of 18, but that there probably was a lot of hard work that went into it, even, you know, getting to a point 
where you could have that kind of success. So when you look back at the earlier part of your life, was that always pretty typical for you, whether it was like in school or, or wherever else that there was always this kind of hard work mentality attaching your worth to the things that you were doing and, and kind of your productivity? Yes, I would say that one of my superpowers is a singular focus. Uh-huh. So I sort of laser in on something and and then just won't quit, will not quit. At yeah. the same time, really when I was younger and, and probably not until about 10 or 15 years ago, and I'm 56 now, um, did I, I didn't like to do things I wasn't good at right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. I was, if I liked it, I was all in and you couldn't pull me away. Yeah. If I didn't and I wasn't good at it, I was like, fuck you, I'm out, whatever, <laughs> never mind. Next. This is not an opportunity for me to be amazing. And I had to be amazing. I had to be amazing yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's a real, um, so that was part of the comeuppance as well, is that when I stopped getting work, you st- you sort of go, well, and and thank God, listen, let's just, we just have to talk about the elephant in the room, which was, I got the Simpsons in 1987. So mm-hmm. um, I had only really been, I was on Broadway in 84. Um, so I had just been in LA for a minute and I got this weird little voiceover job. I didn't want to do voiceover. I didn't have a voiceover agent because I'd always been so teased for having such a funny, weird, nasally voice. And so I really think I thought there's no way I can translate that into something that's worthwhile. So Mm -hmm. it didn't, it wasn't even on my radar, but I was also not a person to turn down an audition. So Mm -hmm. I was like, as long as it doesn't keep me from world domination and becoming an EGOT before I'm 30. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'll go. Let's do this. (laughs) Yeah. Whatever. And then I got the job and I, and I remember saying to my agent, Oh, okay. The job is what? Because we were doing those little bumpers on the Tracy Allman show. Yes, where, yes which I used to be obsessed it, with, by the yeah, way. I was, they were I've been watching this show. Yeah. So it was, uh, and still for many years, and <laughs> I was laughing about, um, Alec, you were so kind to say, oh, Yardley, you look so great. And and uh, I actually do get, even while we're all this fucking pandemic, which is <laughs> just brutal for all of us. Um, yeah. I try to, I shower and I actually like get dressed. You make an effort. Yes. Set my intention for the day. Right. Mm -hmm. Are you wearing gym shorts underneath? No, I'm actually wearing a dress, but I am wearing my Simpsons flip-flops. I usually wear high heels, but um, (laughs) I sort of stopped doing that around the house. But I do try to, even if it's just, if I'm wearing a, you know, just a top and a skirt, I'll wear the skirt instead of the pajama pants because it makes me, it reminds me of being when I was a kid, when I was sick, Mm-hmm. Like to your point, Alec, about your dad um, sort of, you know, uh, being non-productive is a sin. Mm-hmm. In my family, I grew up my sort of formal upbringing and and it was it was really a suck it up buttercup kind of stoic um, environment. Very yeah. stoic. Don't throw away waspy. the soap until it breaks apart in three pieces. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Is that I remember a thing? you telling was me that. that. I'm not even kidding. I yeah. didn't know. I've never heard yeah. that before. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so <laughs> Matthew, when you talk about it's you need to check in with yourself, and I completely agree that there is. If you don't, I always know that if I don't have what I need, I certainly don't have the patience and the wherewithal to give 
to everybody else. I have a you know production company. Um, I have this very successful true crime podcast called Small Town Dicks. Not about your time in in uh, where were you Fresno? Fresno. Um, Alex. Uh, <laughs> and it's really great. It's, I co-host with uh, identical twin detectives Dan and Dave. Which wow. um, oh cool. It's very good. And and the the title is sort of quite funny and Dick's obviously being the noir slang for a detective, but, Mm -hmm. and it belies a a much more reverent tone for the detectives. All of our cases are told by the detectives who came on and and investigated the case. So it's from the horse's mouth, but um, it sounds like in cold blood Capote. Yes. 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 Like that. And so I feel like I just don't, I don't have the bandwidth for anything if I haven't looked after myself. At the same time, I have no experience. Uh, it was a modeled for me. I watched my mother bump herself down the list of needs every single day, multiple times a day. Yeah. Um, it's very, very difficult for me, and I haven't really figured it out. Don't you think that was the generation we were raised by, though, that any kind of introspection for people of my parents' generation? I mean, also being Asian, no way. You just don't talk about it. Just. Right. Right. But I think that our generation, um, part of part of my therapy is is realizing that my ther- my mental health is a necessity and it's something that I that needs to be taken care of. Yeah. And to our parents' generation, that was that was stoic. That was like, what are you doing? Yeah, just, yeah, you're weak. Just, yeah, yes. my mother was like, yeah. um, put on your face and go outside. Put on some lipstick. <laughs> That's what you say, my sister. <laughs> I, you know, I put on lipstick anyway, but that was the advice. But it's, I'm curious, like, how does this manifest in your daily life? What does, what does obsessive productivity look like to you? And do you know what's happening while it's happening? I do know it's happening while it's happening. Um, I, it's interesting. So I, my, I was, when I was, I was talking to the shrink the other day, actually, and I was, um, He's, I was, ta- was describing this Sunday that I had where I had uh, I had nothing to do. I didn't have a podcast episode to edit. Um, I didn't have a, a script to read, you know, for the production company. I was sort of at a loose end. And so I thought, OK, um, I finally decided I would watch Outlander, the series that used to be on Stars. It's now on Netflix. It's a real ripper. Yeah, yeah. It's very good, actually. It's quite well acted. It's, it's, and, uh, but like 28 people said to me, what? And the Scottish guy is hot. Yeah, he's super hot. Yeah, super hot. (laughs) But they're all very good. Like the Mm -hmm. the bad guy who's a sexual sadist. Mm -hmm. um, He's also in The Crown, actually. Yeah, he plays Phillips in season two, three. Uh, Three, I think. He plays um, Prince Philip. His name is Tobias Menzies, and he's, Brilliant. So mm-hmm. I was like, 28 people were saying, Yardley, you haven't watched Outlander? I'm like, no. So finally, <laughs> finally, I said, all right, I'm going to do it. Meanwhile, I can't just watch TV, but and I've decided I would pick up knitting again. I used to knit. Knitting was uh, <laughs> was actually an activity I learned when I was in, I had an eating disorder for 25 years. Mm-hmm. I was bulimic. Um, and I finally, finally at 39 said, I don't want to still be hanging my head over the sink or the toilet and barfing my brains out. Yeah. So I had to take myself off to an outpatient program. Mm. And basically it was group therapy twice a week, eight hours a week. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we had to do was two things. We had to eat together, which for anybody who has an eating disorder is a harrowing experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the ritual is so private. Yeah. 
Um, and, and long. Two, I remember you telling me about it. It was oh like a God. long involved process to procure the food. It didn't come and, to me easily. Yeah, yeah. You know, the throwing up. It was it was effortful, but like I said, you know, singular focus. And so right, right. Um, and the other thing we had to do was something social every week, which was also agony. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and one week and was all this group happened to be all women, not because men were excluded. It's just that it's more common for women to obviously yes. have eating disorders, mm-hmm. blah, yeah. blah, blah. So um, one girl said, I'm going to learn to knit. And I was like, OK, I'll come. <laughs> and uh, we went and she didn't take to it, but I did. And then I became actually quite a good knitter again. Like, okay, I like this. And I just, I mean, I'm, when I tell you I would rip out 40 rows because there was one tiny mistake that nobody else would see. But you saw it. I know it's there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that's what I would do. What kind then, of stuff were you making? Scarves, sweaters? Uh... All of it. And <sighs> fancy stitches. Yeah. Um, cables and um, really beautiful patterns. I did some really lovely stuff. And then um, I actually broke my neck four years ago. I remember. And it was awful. And I was in so awful. much pain. And I was in pain for two years. This is a terrible story. Wow. It's a terrible story. It, she fell down a set yeah, of stairs ha- at a parking garage. Yes. Oh, my God. And I was alone. Nobody found me for two hours. And I had forgotten my phone. Were you conscious? And I passed out from the impact. And when I came to, I remember I was lying on the floor on this dirty cement floor and um, I couldn't move at all. And I remember thinking, oh no, that, oh no, that's not good. Yeah. And then I passed out again. And when I came to, I could wiggle my toes and I thought, okay, well, that's good. That means I'm not paralyzed forever. Right. Um, And so long story short, I had, I, I, for a year, I, and I was on every drug, every drug. Yeah. I mean, from morphine in pill form, which didn't work to fentanyl, which finally worked a little, but not a lot. And then you find out it's killing everybody. Um, and I had the withdrawals, you know, like spiders Did you crawling have the all halo over me. Thing? Did you have the, the halo? Where your I didn't was actually the- have a halo. I had a, mm. I had a collar and I did, I had surgery, of course, where they fused C4 and C5. So I, what had happened oh. was when I hit the wall, when I fell forward, I hit the cement wall and I fell and I had dislocated C4 and C5 and stretched <sighs> my spinal cord to within a millimeter of snapping. Oh, wow. When, if you have any idea how small a millimeter is, oh my yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. So the point about the knitting is I had all this neuropathy. And I never had any pain in my neck. I only had pain down my arms. Right. And um, you can actually, he went in the front, the surgeon. I don't know if you could see it, but it was a little uh, tiny scar. Uh, Some people think it's a thyroid scar, but it's like uh, a, no. And so I'm not dead scar. I was a millimeter close to dead scar. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I couldn't knit because even though knitting needles aren't that sharp, it was too sharp for the neuropathy in my fingertips. So finally, literally. Wait, it would hurt? It would. It, yeah. It, or, okay. Like All I right. couldn't even for months, I couldn't hold a glass of cold water. Wow. Both because the I didn't have the. nerve were too the, sensitive in, the, in yes. the tips of your fingers. I, I, I'm not a doctor, but I've played many nurses. 
on, on, on fine television <laughs> programs everywhere. <laughs> I love you so much. Saying lines like, the doctors don't keep you alive. I do. Yes, yes. <laughs> Oh yeah. Neuropathy in the fingers. You couldn't knit. So, and I couldn't so now knit. that so was taken away from you. That, it was, that and I didn't knit activity. for about uh I had I hadn't knit for four years. So about a month ago I thought I, I really want to try knitting again. I still had mm-hmm. I'd given most of my yarn away, but I still had some nice yarn. And um so my point is is that even on Sunday when here I was sort of you know, drifting around going, uh, now what, now what do I do? I thought, well, I'll watch TV, but I will also knit. <laughs> so I have something to show for it yeah. when I've watched, you know, two or three episodes. Totally. Well, doing something like that, knitting some, anything that's kind of just like something that brings us joy or as a creative outlet or anything like that, just as a hobby for fun, obviously that can be a great thing. But like you said, if you're being honest with with yourself, the intention was to feel productive. It wasn't just to enjoy the knitting itself. Yes, that's 100% true. And and I still end up feeling like my Sunday was sort of wasted. You know, I took Mm. a big long nap, which I needed because I'm always underslept. Yes. Um, And I I think, you know, just just in the past 10 minutes of what? All the harrowing experiences. I mean, everything but the dogs napping at your rear end. Uh, you've earned a nap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe the voices in your head don't feel that you have, but just listening to, yeah, you've earned a nap yeah. because you are busy. You have the production company. You still have the Simpsons. You have your podcast. You, I know that you do a lot of philanthropic work. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but Alec, but Alec, you're also talking about everything that we all know rationally, but this isn't a rational issue. It's an emotional all right. one. So it's how one... do we deal with the irrational feeling of I'm busy and I'm productive and yet I feel guilty if I take a nap? Yeah. I mean, it's about just getting curious about the stories that we tell ourselves. If I'm not doing something, what does that feel like it means about me? I'm being unproductive. What does that mm-hmm. mean about me as a human being or a citizen of the world? And just getting curious about that narrative, having a sense of where we even learned that from. A lot of times it's kind of like the earliest parts of our lives from our families, that kind of stuff like you guys were talking about with your families growing up and being able to recognize that that's it's normal, it's irrational, but it's also normal and then challenge it you know, kind of move through the discomfort of it, you know, so maybe challenging yourself to just watch the show and maybe not pick up anything else or just take a nap and know that it's going to be uncomfortable. And that's okay, because that's how we grow. It's excruciating. You you know, you said earlier, excruciating, because that's the I am what I do. Yeah, that's that's the conditioning. And that was because that was my value in the world. Yes, yes, that's my value in the world. I, I believe that that's part of my makeup too. And so, but the, what unemployment does to you as an actor, as an artist, as a writer, or just any, it, it, you have to find your essential value without those things. Like it's a, I think that living in a place of I'm only valuable when I'm working, which is really easy to get to in Los Angeles. Like in New York, I feel like I was on Broadway. I, I, I did plays. I did off Broadway and I will forever be an actor in New York city. Yeah. Forever. I entered the garden I have a place in there, whether or not I've done a play in the past 10 years or so. Yeah. But in, in Los Angeles, it's always like, what are you doing now? And even if even if you have a credit that's like a year old or two years old, it's like, mm. yeah. so it's it, the challenge in this thing is, is trying to find your essential value apart from what your profession is. But and also, that's, an, that's an ongoing thing for me. 
That's an, I, and, I, and I hear that. And I think that's an ongoing thing, honestly, that anybody can relate to. Even if you're having a steady stream of work, it's really not about what's happening before you. It's everything that it feels like. Even for me, when I very first started my private practice back in New York, you know, like a decade ago, I remember I was so, you know, I had my full-time job and I was just starting this on the side. All of this was icing on the cake, right? So it didn't really matter, but it really felt like it did. I was feeling so anxious. Am I going to get clients? Am I going to be okay? Am I worthy? Do people see that I have value as a therapist? That kind of stuff. And I remember being so fixated on my calendar. Like I would look at my calendar and count the number of clients that I had each day and oh would think, like, okay, I'm making this much money. Okay, then that's good. And this will be okay. And I became so obsessed. My one friend, Bob, told me, he was just like, oh my God, he's just like, you, you're like, you're like Scrooge McDuck, like counting all of your coins. Yeah. He's like, you need to stop. And I realized, I'm like, holy shit. That's the behavior that I'm doing that's reinforcing this belief for me that I'm not enough on my own, that I have to rely on the you know income and the validation from others in order. So I had to very intentionally and consciously stop counting those fucking clients mm. on my calendar. And it was excruciating for probably about two weeks. All I wanted to do was count it and I had to stop. And eventually I did. And, and it started to subside a little bit more. And I started to also pay attention into the rest of my life, how much I was really counting so many other facets of my life as a measure of my worth. And I was like, fuck this. And had to consciously stop doing those little tiny behaviors that all add up. Also, Yardley, we're the same age. And lately I've been thinking about like, um, my therapist said the 50s are a big reset. You know, they said the 40s are where you demonstrate what you know. And, and he goes, the 50s are great. You're like a really young old person. <laughs> and you, you, you certainly had a reset that. because you re you recovered from your injury. You're really fit. You've been doing CrossFit. I think yeah. the last time we, we saw we spoke, we, you talked about that. And I'm thinking as a, re a young old person, how do I want to live the rest of it? What's the because this is the rest of it. This right. is this is the rest of it, and I kind of want to be happier. <laughs> I agree. I, I and you know, be so I have mean a real to myself anymore. I can, I, it's so well said because, and I realized that my family, both my extended family and my parents really put no value on happiness. Mm. And so that too has felt like, um, kind of frivolous. Like you don't need that. Mm -hmm. You need to sort of grind it out. Yeah. Fucking pull up your socks. Yep. You know, and uh, if you have an issue, please keep it to yourself. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, the wasps are so much like the Asians, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, I can't celebrate my own <laughs> victories. I realized that in the past couple of years that I never, my, my husband grew up getting a sheet cake for reaching second base, you know, and yeah. I never <laughs> got, he's that generation. I never got that. So when I was on, I remember I was on um, uh, your worst cooks last year, a celebrity edition, and nobody in my family called me the entire run. Nobody. No. And I was, and, and when I thought about it, I was like, huh, if you were on a TV show, yeah, I'd call you. Yeah, for and, sure. But then I realized that's me. That's me. Yeah. Like I'd never, I, I, it was like a big epiphany for me fairly recently that I was not raised to celebrate my own victories. That is frivolous. That is boastful. That is yeah. vanity. Yes. That is, which is all of yeah, those things. pride. Yeah. which is also a sin. So right. it's kind of like, so now I'm just kind of like, oh, 
<laughs> How are you guys with accepting compliments? Can you guys accept compliments when someone gives it to you? Like just a thank you or do you shoot? I accepted one earlier from Yardley. Did you see that? I, I listened to the whole thing. It was hard. <laughs> it was difficult. It was difficult. Yeah. It's, it's interesting for me. I, I was, I accept, um, I have sort of categories of compliments. So I often say that, uh, you know, if somebody says something horrible to you and it hooks you, then there's some tiny piece of what that person has said to you that you feel is true. A hundred percent. Right. Yes. So if somebody, so as an example, for instance, if somebody says to me, Yardley, you're not that smart, even though I didn't, you know, I didn't go to college, I didn't get in, whatever, blah, but I feel like I'm, I sort of, I'm good enough at kind of absorbing and reading the room that, mm -hmm. and I'm, and I like to learn and I like people and I like their stories. And so things like that. So I'm sort of worldly smart. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I grew up in a very intellectual family. They're all, you know, Rhodes scholars and Harvard and fuck you and whatever. And I didn't get in. So. <laughs> um, but so if somebody says Yardley, you're not that smart. I'm like, yeah, I don't, that's whatever you, you do you. Yeah. If somebody says you're not that pretty, I'm like, Wow. Uh, mm. uh, you, you like stopped me in my tracks. And so, um, Alec, when we got on first and you said, you look great. I mean, immediately, even though I made, uh, you know, an effort today to shower, you put on a dress. I, yeah. I, did, I did my hair. I, yeah. I have a nice yeah. dress on. Um, I, it really kind of trips me up because if the narrative in my head is today, Yardley, you don't you don't really get your shit together. Mm -hmm. Then you could tell me a thousand times it look great and be like, could you just fucking shut up? Yeah. <laughs> because because you, you know the truth. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, it's it is interesting. But I'm but I agree with you, Matthew, that the value of being able to take a compliment, first of all, it's gracious. Yeah. And yes. second of all, how dare you say to the other person, basically, you're wrong about that. Yeah. What about me, about yeah. you saying, that. I mean, it's all, it's, it's kind of the complete opposite of what you're trying to demonstrate, which is this kind of humility. And in fact, there's a, a real arrogance to it. And why can't you let somebody else have a moment with you? Yeah, exactly. Gracious and living also, with Yardley Smith. That's gracious. your next book. Or that's your next podcast. And also being able to do it because even when it feels uncomfortable or if it feels untrue for us, when we do it, it that concept of fake it till you make it is actually a legitimate one. So when we can go through the motions of it, can you I can I can't accept a compliment. Yeah, you get but embarrassed it was... when I express gratitude towards you when I say that I'm. <laughs> this is like my. I enjoy being with you. This yeah. time together. But I you usually the like, embarrassment. The but laugh. I usually yeah. yeah. The laugh. Yeah, for sure. Laughter. Yeah. That is for sure yeah. covering up a lot. But I always, I always land on a yes. I'll receive that. I receive that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but your initial reaction is you're like yeah. yeah. <laughs> For sure. yeah, it's listen. hard, but going through the motions of it obviously is something that helps reinforce that we deserve it, even if we don't feel like it. So it is starting to invest in ourselves in that. You need, stuff. you deserve a nap. You deserve everything. Yes. Can you tell us, um, uh, tell us about your podcast, where people can find it, and where people can find you on your socials? Yeah, yeah, sure. So the podcast is called Small Town Dicks. Uh, we just started our seventh season. We do about two seasons a year, so we're a little over three years old. You can find it everywhere you like to listen, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever. Um, it really is very, very good, uh, I have to say. Even And and I'm, I say, I always say that I'm you. So if you had a seat at the table with these detectives who are telling you how they investigated these cases, I'm the one who asks the clarifying questions. But also, I want to know who you are and how you do what you do and why do you do it? 
Mm-hmm. So I'm the one who wants to get into your heart and soul as the person who is willing to, every time you leave your, leave your house, encounter the worst of humanity on a day-to-day basis. Mm. Um, Instead and, of just on Twitter. Right. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Try to go a little deeper. I've <laughs> measured the time it takes for me to lose my will to live after signing onto Twitter. It's five minutes. Right. Wow. I have I I can look at it and then I'm like uh, bye. I, I'm off. <laughs> it's so well said. Are you um, you're on the Instagram and the Twitter? Yes, I'm on Instagram at Yardley underscore Smith and and on Twitter at Yardley Smith. And Alec, you were I can't remember if this was before we started recording, but you said you I do a little funny, silly cooking show that I made up called Oil and Water that you can find on my Instagram. And I uh, also have a whole bunch of what I call Simpsons Sundays, where I do, you know, two minutes of something about the Simpsons, or I read a story as Lisa Simpson, paraphrasing. It's a lovely way to spend minutes. your Sunday morning. It's just yeah. you're so sunny, and it's just it's so cheerful. That's it's what cheerful. we need right now. It's, it's very cheerful. cheerful. It's gracious. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I miss you to pieces. Let's. Likewise. Après la plague, let's <laughs> let's get together, okay? Yes, please. Yeah. All right. Thank, Thank you. you so much for doing the show. Thanks, Yardley. Thanks for having me. This really was terrific. I love what you guys are doing. I think it's important and relevant, and also funny, and just a great way to help a person uh, get through their day. Oh, oh, that's oh. Speaking of which, before you sign off, we always have our guests do a hot message right. to people out there for the hot mess podcast. So if there, if you had a friend, a dear, dear friend who is, who is experiencing the same kind of struggle you're going through with a guilt after a nap, what would you tell them? I would say, um, you listen to me when I tell you there is maybe nothing more important than balance. Mm. Having mm. lived most of a life out of balance, Mm-hmm. You cannot understate the value of balance and that, you know, bragging about how little sleep you had and how much you got done at the expense of your well-being and your mental health, you, um, you will be face down in the mud in no time flat. Mm. So don't do it. This don't is a cautionary it. tale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Yardley. Thank I love you. you. Love you too. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that's Matthew. We yes. were in the presence of greatness today. Oh, oh my God. Total greatness. I mean, just, I mean, she schooled us. I mean, yes. that's, I, I, it's, it's just one <laughs> aha moment after the other. What's your hot message for the day? I think my hot message would be to just kind of pay attention to how much you might be wearing a badge of honor yourself with how tired you are, how much you've worked. And just at the very least, just try to practice not talking about that. When people are asking you how you're doing, you know, maybe focus on some of the other things that are going on for you, Mm -hmm. Um, but not really emphasizing the parts of you that are tired because then that's where you're um, practicing your focus. And then that becomes your lived experience too. It becomes more of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm. You know, kind of dial it back and and it might be uncomfortable. It might feel foreign, but you can create a new normal for yourself. Very uncomfortable. Yeah. My hot message is that you do have to have that foundation. You know, your house can't be built on sand. And I think the the, the thing of the, the, the trap with I am what I do is that, you know, the rains come and the winds come. It blows away all your efforts yes. and all your work and what yep. are you left with? So there has to be a foundation. Your esteem has to build up, be built on a foundation of 
on my own without anything, <laughs> I'm of value. And I'm laughing because that is the ongoing struggle. Yes. As, as, as a gentleman who's 55 years old, uh, um, loving myself and being nice to myself is a relatively new phenomenon. Yeah, exactly. I love that. It's a practice. Yeah. So where can we find you on the socials, hot stuff? <laughs> you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at MJ Dempsey Psych and on Facebook, Matthew J. Dempsey Psychotherapy. I'm not on TikTok yet, but I think I'm going to. Oh, I'm not going to do it. It's how humiliating to be a 55-year-old Listen, I've got dances the world needs to see. Oh, yeah, I got moves that people don't even know about. You can find me at Alec Mappa on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also find us both at the Hot Mess Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Please DM us and let us us know what you think of the show. If you have any questions for us, we'd love to hear from you. Um, Don't forget to download and uh, download and describe Download and subscribe, <laughs> for heaven's sakes. Uh, we here at the Hot Mess Podcast know you have many choices when it comes to be entertained. So we're so grateful and honored that you chose to spend your time with us. Tune in next week for more Hot Mess fun. Bye, guys. The Alec Mappa Hot Mess with Matthew Dempsey Psychotherapist Podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional, medical, financial, legal, or other advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine or any other professional service. The use of any information provided during this podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professional.